Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. It should go without saying, I'm your host, Andrew Lewis, and it is the week between the home and away season of the AFL ending and the final starting. And we all know what that means. It means I've got resident AFL expert of the podcast, Cameron McDonald, with me to talk about the upcoming finals and some regular end-of-season items. How are you doing, Cameron? I'm good, mate. And yourself? I'm well, I'm well. Finals are coming. We, Despite today's weather, we have had a few spring-like days in Melbourne, um, which people have been able to enjoy one hour at a time. So things <laughs> are starting to feel a little bit more normal, but only a little bit more this year. We're not doing this in October, but um, unfortunately we are locked down again. But we have finals and we're straight into it this week with four finals. Um and a very exciting last round, at least for the first two days last week, with um, the games on Friday and Saturday night taking particular significance. Oh, it was magnificent. And and I have to say, it's brilliant that that momentum will carry us into the finals. Um, circumstances aside, it's just fantastic to be done with that pre-finals by. Let, 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 let's hope this, this year sort of kills it off. Um, I think that'd be pretty good. Um, I've long advocated that we should that the, the pre-finals buy should be moved to another week off in the middle of the season. Have the season go twenty-four weeks. Have everyone have two buys somewhere in the middle of the season over the space of eighteen rounds, and then you'd be able to have the more Thursday nights and um, a little bit more flexibility around public holidays like Anzac Day and the Queen's Birthday. So, and or or a late Easter. So, um. Straight into it, like it, like it was for, you know, 372 years before 2016. So that's exciting. Friday night, Port Adelaide, Geelong, and and then Saturday, GWS in Sydney. Saturday night, Melbourne and Brisbane, and Sunday, uh, back to the old Sunday afternoon final. Uh, the Western Bulldogs in Essendon. Um, we'll get to those in a little while, but uh, first of all, we also had the added bonus this week of Hall of Fame night being uh, squeezed, and I think it I think it got to the point where they just couldn't wait any longer before having it. Um, I'll ask you first, what was your, uh, did you catch the night, or, or at least caught the names, and, and, and what were your thoughts about the inductees and, and the two elevations of the legends? Uh, you'll have to run me through it um, because I... No worries. I, so, I um, uh, yeah. Debbie Lee became the first female inductee, the trailblazing yeah. footballer. I, I, I don't know a hell of a lot about her, so, uh, but um, certainly going to be the first of uh, quite a number of uh, female inductees now that uh, women's participation in the game is um, growing exponentially. Here, here. Uh, one to see her CV listed off on uh, on Twitter today was um, it's pretty remarkable. And um, most people who've had anything to do with uh, women's football over the journey um, were were speaking very glowingly of her. So uh, I just think that's marvellous. And um, there was there was you know the customary um, garbage reaction from some uh, faceless people on on Twitter and Facebook um, overnight, but um, yeah, they, they sort of, I don't know, I, I hope they just uh, sort of bleed into the distance and disappear. 
Fair enough. I think that's that's more than a reasonable uh, thought about um, about that. Um, one of my favourite players growing up was inducted, Nathan Burke. Um, Robert Wiley, the uh, per uh, the West Australian um, rover who played in the premiership with Richmond in 1980, um, and Chris Judd, who uh, was the only player who was inducted in their first year of eligibility. Um, West Australian ruckman from the 40s and 50s, Merv McIntosh, and legendary South Australian coach of Sturt in Norwood, Jack Oti, were elevated to legend status. And there was a special double elevation uh, for two people who had who had sadly passed away, but that uh, special consideration was made considering it was the 25th anniversary of the creation of the Australian Football Hall of Fame. So those were the those were the the f- only four inductees on the night. Um, before we get to, I guess, the story about uh, why there were only four inductees, um, just your thoughts on, I guess, Burke, Wiley, and Judd, and and the and if you have any thoughts on on the elevation of players from who who aren't we aren't too familiar with in McIntosh I'd, and Odie. I'd rather hear you speak about Burke, to be honest. Um, although I I remember a uh, a tough helmeted um, footballer um, that complemented um, a pretty, very strong um, St Kilda side um, through his journey. Mm. Um, but actually on Judd, uh, who is I think the the premier midfielder that I've that I've seen, um, particularly in the West Coast days, and that's it's no knock on um, on Carlton um, per se, uh, but he he sort of evolved as a footballer massively and and. Um, was a very, very different player um, at Carlton, sort of amped up his uh, incredible contested stuff and became this um, bull um, uh, who could also take contested marks and and the rest of it. But the sort of blistering speed uh, and goal-kicking prowess that he started his career off with, um, yeah, it's, it's the most pure and incredible football I've seen was his early days at at, um, at West Coast. Yeah, he won at Brownlow in 2004 in his third season at West Coast and then won, won in his third year at Carlton, actually, in 2010. Um, what, there's not much more that needs to be said about um, Judd the footballer. Um, he, he, I mean, he, he was an incredible player to watch. Won a Norm Smith in, in a losing grand final team and, and was probably... Well, not probably was clearly best on ground that day, um, and then was premiership captain the next year, and then his last year at West Coast in 2017 had 16 Brownlow votes after eight games, and at that point I think he had his first serious groin injury, which he played through, and that sort of the explosiveness was never quite the same after that. But he basically invented um, the burst away from the pack um, in the modern game. As we know it, I don't. I don't think there was. I think it was. I think there have been other footballers um, who've come along have tried to replicate the sort of game he played, but he was sort of the the first one of that. Um, and also, I think along with Nick Rewald, one of the more genuine, genuinely interesting footballers to hear talk about his career and about football. Um, definitely a, a different perspective and a different way of describing things. He's. Um, his his interview with Jared Waitley last night on the Hall of Fame uh, show was was very interesting. Talking about you know 
just how he saw things and, 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 and I guess he doesn't describe things in a way that we would expect most footballers to describe them. Um, I'm personally very happy that Nathan Burke's been inducted in the Hall of Fame. Um, certainly, you know, one of those guys who got everything out of themselves. Um, nearly won a Brownlow in 1996 in, you know, one of the great Brownlow years where there was five players at the top of the table within a vote of each other. Um mm-hmm. And sort of got robbed. He polled 20 votes that year, and Harvey and Lowe polled 17 each. So, and the winner polled 21. So, um, winners. Um, that was the year Voss and Heard won, and McKernan also polled the most votes, but didn't win. Um, at the end of '97, when and and Mike Mike Sheen was a little prone to this sort of thing, but at the end of '97, in his 50 best player list, he listed Harvey and Burke as equal first, um, as if to sort of not separate them, and they were a little bit yin and yang. Um, but it's hard to get someone, anyone who followed St. Kilda throughout time to say anything bad about him or anything critical. So, um, a great player and, and, you know, got one of the great send-offs, um, when he played his last game. Um, while I couldn't tell you much about other than what I read, I don't remember, I think I can vaguely remember him maybe running around in like the first Eagles season. He might've hung on for that long or he might have been a runner he was he ended up being Mick Malthouse's um runner and I think assistant coach at West Coast and then I think rejoined him at Carlton I don't know if he got to Collingwood um but you know a sort of you know West Australian the the the, the stories that come out of West Australian football about you know guys kicking 10 goals from the from the rover position that sort of thing I think Wiley was the sort of the epitome of that but um but um just on I mean but I mean Congratulations to all of them. I'm, I'm on the record uh, with the Australian Football Hall of Fame, and this might sound particularly churlish to, to point at this stage after a whole bunch of them have been inducted, but in my estimation, Judd's the only one who's a lay-down slam dunk for the Hall of Fame. Um, I think the others, I think Burke and Wiley genuinely fit in with the sort of calibre of player who finds themselves in the Hall of Fame. Um I'd like anyone to argue with me that Mark Bickley was a better footballer than Nathan Burke. Mark Bickley is in the Hall of Fame. He never won an Adelaide Best and Ferris, never made an All-Australian team. So um, <laughs> Burke did three of both. So, um, you know, I mean, on the record, there's, there's an article that I wrote for The Raw in 2019 uh, where I suggest that probably about 72 players at that stage should be in the Hall of Fame. And, of course, the number's more like 300. So, um and I can't make any comment on Merv McIntosh or Jack Odie because they 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 were um they were pioneer, you know pioneers of the game, but well before my time. Um, it should also be noted that Gary McIntosh, the South Australian uh, football from the seventies and eighties, was um, chosen to be inducted and declined. Um, I think pretty much because he didn't want the honour. And uh, on a much sadder note, Adam Goods was um, chosen to be inducted, and he was chosen his first year of eligibility like Adam, like uh, Chris Judd, and uh, rightfully so, um, but uh, for reasons that have been well documented with uh, how he was treated um, through the probably the second half of his career, um, he declined the uh, declined to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. But Richard Gordon said at this stage in, in his introduction, so I, I'm not sure if that's, you know, over-optimistic, but, um, you know, one would hope that, the AFL community could do the hard yards if they haven't done it already, and Adam would feel 
comfortable enough at some stage to be honoured as in the way in which he deserves. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. But really, um, we want that for our own. We just want to feel better about it, I think. So if, mm. if Goodsy never feels comfortable enough to come and be a part of that, then, you know, he doesn't need to do it for our sake. And it's desperately sad. Mm. Yes, indeed. But um, congratulations to those who were inducted. Congratulations to those who were selected to be inducted because I guess they know that that um, the panel have felt them worthy. Um, and to the two uh, the two legends um, who were inducted, hopefully, um, they, certainly their families will uh, appreciate that honour and hopefully the, uh, the South Australian and West Australian football fans who like to get on the Twitters and the, and the big footies and complain about the fact that... Um, their uh, their histories aren't properly recognised can um, can be a little less vocal on the other you know so um, there's probably a bit of way to go with that but um, I think I think the VFL nature of where the AFL ended up sort of is hard to run away from so anyway so that was the Hall of Fame last night now that's 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 the that's the prelude that's the intro that's the entree we know what. And, and, you know, congratulations to everyone who's listening to the podcast. They've waited through that first 13 minutes or so of of us <laughs> giving people their due. But we know what people have really come in to listen to this podcast for, and that is the, um, the official unveiling of the 2021 AFL player rating Brownlow medal. Um, uh. it's, it's, it's the fifth year um, for the award. Um, it was won by Dustin Martin in 2017 when he won everything else. I, I I don't know Dusty, so I don't know how much he appreciates or values that over all the other awards he's won over the course of the journey. Um, One can assume in 2018 uh, it was yeah 2018 it was won by Max, um, who's once again finds himself at the pointy end this year. Um, and the last two years have won been won by Nat Fife, so who um, became the first dual AFL player rating Brownlow. Dual AFL actual Brownlow medal winner. So, uh, um, but um, we do have um, a bit of a bolter this year in the awards. So uh, I, I'm just going to count them down from everyone who's um, included in the top 10. Equal 10th, um, two Melbourne players, Max Gorn and Clayton Oliver, and also Dane Zorko of Brisbane on 17 votes. Zorko polled those 17 votes in six polling matches. So it's like the minimum. Um, coming in tied for sixth on 18 votes. The early leader was Marcus Bontempelli. He didn't poll in any of the last eight games. Mm. So he finished on 18 votes along with Jack Steele of St Kilda, Tom Hickey of Sydney, and Brody Grundy of Collingwood. For those, for the uninitiated, the AFL player ratings do love Ruckman. They love them. Um, the top five includes two more Ruckman. So coming in a, a fifth place by himself, and this will this will stun a few, stun a few people. Was Sean Darcy of Fremantle? Um, remarkable year, remarkable year for him, and he had a he had a hot patch towards about the two thirds way mark of the season where he polled back to back to back best on grounds. Um, in fourth place by himself, and this is one to enter into your multis considering he polled very well in the real Brando last year. Is Christian Petrarca with twenty one votes. Um, finishing equal second. Um, another Ruckman from the West, Nick Natanui, who has finished, polled very highly in this award before, and the man who stormed home 
polling in eight of the last 10 games to finish one vote off the pace. Jake Stringer of Essendon. Um, but, and and I look at, we, we're going to give this its due. Um, to announce the winner, um, here we go. We've got the music. And uh, can you hear that, Cameron? I can't. I can't. I'm desperately sad. I'm going to have to tune into the it podcast is, when it goes live. It is the Brownlow Metal music. Um, that's enough of that. Um, <laughs> uh, the winner the winner of the 2021 AFL player rating, Brownlow Metal, with 23 votes is Took Miller of the Gold Coast. Um, didn't poll in any of the first five rounds, um, but uh, ended up polling in 10 matches after that for 23 votes. Um, so congratulations, Took. You'll just have to... Um, you'll just have to satisfy yourself with that well because unfortunately for you you're ineligible for the real thing because um, of a suspension uh, about a better third of the way through the season so um, and for anyone who could hear that music and wants to find out what the actual music they play when the Brownlow Medal wins it's from the Untouchables so I don't know if that worked or not but then again I don't know if the player rating Brownlow works or not so I've got a couple of comments on this because it, uh, it, it... It would be remarkable if, if Tuke Miller was able to pull the most votes in the real thing. Um, perhaps even more remarkable would be if he did so and Jake Stringer ended up with the medal. Um, I, I, don't, I don't want that to happen. Um, as, 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 like, as his form, his, 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 his um, games where he polled, his run home does um, coincide with the rich beta form for the Essendon Football Club as they stormed in at an eighth spot. So... But he doesn't have a history of polling in the brown line, so we'll be I've watched to games, see what happens. I've watched games this year where he was undoubtedly the the best player on the ground, and um, would not be surprised at all if uh, you know a month ago when we were chatting about this, I thought Bontempelli had it locked away, um, but he he may have done himself a disservice by by sort of going quiet as the Bulldogs did. Um, the the other notable thing, I guess, in this top ten is I don't think I heard you say Ollie Wine. Now, Ollie Wines finished 20, he tied for 20th with 13 votes. Um, he so only pulled your Brownlow medal favourite. Best on ground in two games, but one of them was the last game. Right. I mean, he has but, but he had is a the highest, Yeah, he's the highest rated Port Adelaide player. Funnily enough, the sec, and this is the sort of weird results you get, because this, this is just a formula that's chucking out numbers based on statistics. Um. But the second best polling player put out late was Willem Drew. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, the uh, obvious players to take votes away from Ollie, you know, as 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 good of, as Port have have been, and they've they've sort of stormed home themselves. You got Travis Boak, who who will likely um, take a vote or two, and Alia Alia's had a marvelous year, um, and and a pretty eye catching one. So. Um, whether he's able to poll a couple of votes there um, remains to be seen. But, um, yeah, just interesting. And there were a lot of Ruckman in that count. Um, I'm not sure which way it's going to go. I'd like to see Clayton Oliver rewarded for um, a pretty special year. Um, and he does sort of – he does really assert himself on games, uh, particularly at times when, when things are tight. So, um pretty high. Yeah, the, the query on Oliver is that um, he's had, the, I mean, the two of the last three years when Melbourne have been competitive in 2018 and 2020, um, 
in the real Brownlow, um, he had teammates out pole him um, that we might not have expected. So in 2018, Angus Brayshaw finished third, I think, or fourth in the real Brownlow. Um, I think to everybody's surprise. Um, and then last year, Petrarca out polled him and finished in the top five, I think, and Ola was um, 10th or 11th. So in terms of in terms of a Melbourne player to have in your uh, multis, if you do choose to gamble and gamble responsibly, um, Petrarca would probably be the one I'd be leaning to. I'm just not sure about... Clayton Oliver, Oliver Clary might have the might have might have the Luke Ball problem. Luke Ball, who famously in 20, 2005 polled in eight games and polled nine votes. Um, <laughs> normally, I mean, in previous years you poll eight votes, you're at the you poll in eight games, you're at the pointy end. Um, but um, yeah, I, I I'd suggest you know sneaky you know things to take out of the player rating Brownlow in terms of um, names you might want to throw in to um, small little Melbourne-sized cup bet, bets. Um, David Mundy at Fremantle polled pretty well. Um, I don't think you can rely on Sean Darcy to poll too well on the Brownlow. Um, you take the Ruckman with a grain of salt. There are a lot of different midfielders at the Bulldogs who poll votes, so I'd probably stay away from them a, a little bit because you don't know exactly where that's going to roll out. Having said that, Bontempelli might have it won um, at the bye. Um, but both McRae and Liberatore polled pretty well in the player rating Brownlow at the Bulldogs. Um, looking at some of the others, there's no St Kilda player near Jack Steele. No, um, he'll be a dollar oh one. Yeah. And uh, so I wouldn't necessarily be having Jack as you for any value in terms of your, if you're going to do a club, most, most votes polled at a club multi, although you've got to have those dollar ones to bump them up a little bit and have some boxes ticked, but still might be a very good bet to put in your trifectas um, for a place. St Kilda might not, just might not win enough games, and trust me, I've lived that for the last six months. Um, um, and if there's a real roughie, last year my roughie, my real, you know, huge roughie didn't go anywhere, which was Aaron Hall, um, my real roughie for this year, if you can get him at value, considering that the top-ranked player um, at this club and the player rating Brownlow is a, is a Ruckman who won't poll. So the other one I'd probably suggest for a real bit of value is Jordan Dawson at Sydney. Very nice. Um, but don't be too worried if you get to the turn, you get to the Jim Steins Award halfway through Brownlow Metal Night and he hasn't got a vote. He does come home very hard. So, um, Luke Parker always polls pretty well. Yeah, Parker is in the top twenty in the player rating Brownlow. So, um, but Sydney have historically shared the votes around pretty well. So mm. it'll be interesting to see how they go. Anyway, I've given a good crack this year, and if we if the audio doesn't work, I've got twelve more months to maybe try to sort of buy that music and splice it in and do it properly for next year. So. Something um, to look forward to. We've we've got <laughs> other things to talk about. Please keep listening. Um, in terms of a bit of bit more navel gazing, um, before we started the season, our preseason pods, which are always our most listened to podcasts, by the way, our preseason preview podcasts, usually because I have to go back and listen to them to find out what I said. Um, <laughs> we did our ladders, and thanks to the evil geniuses at Squiggle, 
Um, that you can put your preseason ladders in and it'll tell you how close you came and how well they're ranked. So it'll give you a score out of 100. Um, so I've put both of our ladders in. So for, for those of you at home, um, Cameron's preseason ladder was Brisbane, Richmond, West Coast, Geelong, Port Adelaide, Western Bulldogs, St Kilda and GWS in the eight. And then missing the finals, Colling in this order, Collingwood, Melbourne, Fremantle, Gold Coast, Carlton, Sydney, Hawthorne, Essendon, North Melbourne and Adelaide. So um, you got two of those exactly right. You got Fremantle and Carlton in the right spot. Um, you got a further five teams off by one. So Geelong, Western Bulldogs, GWS, Hawthorne and North Melbourne you were very close to. You got five of the top eight and you got two of the top four. So the whatever the the magic formula, which is probably as difficult, it's like the eleven herbs and spices, um, <laughs> gives you a score of sixty point one or a grade of C minus. Okay. Okay. So my ladder was Port Adelaide, Brisbane, Richmond, St Kilda, Geelong, Western Bulldogs, West Coast, Carlton, followed by out of the finals. Melbourne, Collingwood, GWS, Sydney, Fremantle, Gold Coast, Essendon, Hawthorne, Adelaide, and North Melbourne. So I only got one exactly right, which was North Melbourne. North Melbourne, yep. Um, compared to you, your two. I only got two off by one compared to your five. Um, so Port Adelaide, uh, I got uh, was off by one. And the Western Bulldogs, we both picked to finish sixth, and obviously they, they finished fifth. So we both got that one off by one. Mm. I only had four of the top eight, um, and I had two of the top four. Somehow my score is higher than yours. Um, <laughs> I got a sixty-one point eight. Um, so very close, but also, I mean, also a C minus. But um, the 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 team the 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 closest to the pin, um, the furthest from the pin. Sorry, that any of us got was you picking Richmond to finish second when they finished twelfth. But I had them mm. in third, so. Um, I was way off on Melbourne. I was eight spots off Melbourne, seven spots off Essendon and Collingwood, and six spots off the Saints. And you were nine spots off Melbourne, eight spots off Essendon, Sydney, and Collingwood. Yeah. And six spots off West Coast. So, so I was I was righter and wrong. Yeah, it's just a bit more scattergun, I think, which I think probably speaks to our um, <laughs> approaches to things. It probably does. Or it means just bugger all. Um, but um, <laughs> you know what I like. Fun. I think you've got and to be. Thankfully, you've, got I to took be a... you've got to be accountable. You know, you got to. A lot of people just, you know, Kingy or famously ignore his preseason letter. Um, I, I like that we. I, I'm. I love listening to Kingy because he obviously puts a lot of work into his analysis. Um, but then, uh, but then he's like, and now it belongs to the ages, and I have the memory of a goldfish. So yeah. yeah, which is which is excellent. Um okay, that's um there was a the, the experts, these are all the model. Um because they took all the he takes all the letters of like 42 pundits from all the different um websites and newspapers and all that sort of thing. So the best letter this year was Daniel Cherney of the Age. Good St. Kilda man, Daniel. Um who got a C plus? He was a sixty eight point seven, um, and Callum Toomey of AFL Media got the worst one, just beating home Campbell Brown. Um, so it's 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 all very interesting. Um, so where do we slot into those to the to the experts? Are we somewhere in the middle? 
if um my my ladder would have ranked out of the uh, would have ranked 25th out of 43 of course adding mine in um and yours would have ranked 34th out of 43 right behind Sam McClure so we've got um, a, we've got to up our game next next year yeah i might actually have to do some preparation um the other Who interesting knows? question is where did Cherney have St Kilda finishing? Oh, I'll, I will. I just closed down that towel. Put up again. Yeah, Daniel had St Kilda finishing eighth, so um, he wasn't too far. He was the, he was the same amount of wrong as you were on Richmond, but he yeah. had West Coast in ninth, three hundred eleventh, and North Melbourne last. And Richmond was sort of the only one. The only other ones he had a lot of ones. They were off by one. So he almost had Port Adelaide. He had the Western Bulldogs in sixth. It seems like everybody was supposed to have the Western Bulldogs in sixth. And uh, yeah, Brisbane in fifth, and they finished fourth, and Port Adelaide in third, and they finished mm. So congratulations, Daniel. You, you get an award that may or may not be as prestigious as the AFL player rating ground life, but I'll stop talking about that now. Now, you know I love this time of year for, because I'm able to break out some footy nerd truth bombs. So at the risk of hearing me speak more, um, here's what we know about week one of the finals. and it, it, In short, it's not good news for the Bulldogs. So the two qualifying finals, first versus fourth and second versus third, the record highest ranking team be has beaten the lower ranking team um, 71% of the time. So the records for both of those two games are 15 and 6 in favour of the higher ranked team. The 6th versus 7th elimination final, the record for the lower team is only slightly better. It's two-thirds. It's 14 and 7. But the record for the 5th versus 8th final um, is 11 and 10. It's a coin flip. And we've seen some... So last year, last year Collingwood won from... Um, and it's happened in some ones where we really didn't think um, it could happen. Essendon's last, there's another Roman, Essendon's last finals win was as eighth, coming up against fifth, against a Melbourne team that were, I think, top of the ladder three or four weeks before finals, if that sounds familiar. Um, Port Adelaide sneaking into the finals in 2005, then beating North Melbourne to finish fifth. Um, the Bulldogs knocking off Collingwood in 2006 when they finished fifth, mm, then Collingwood. Mm. Collingwood going to Adelaide in 2008, knocking them off with none of the ball. I think they had 249 disposals and won the game. Um, Carlton famously not making the finals and winning from eighth yes. in 2013. Yep. Uh, North Melbourne doing it after, uh, from eighth when they beat Richmond a week after resting everyone to lose to Richmond. Yeah. Um, West Coast doing it in 2017, which I think was the game that went to the goal after the siren after extra time. And uh, to, and of course, last year when Collingwood beat West Coast in Perth. So now that can't have only been a year. That was it was less than a year ago. No, so no, it can't have been. <laughs> um, but some more interesting stuff to do with um, who to like and who not to like in the upcoming season. I do a very very facile analysis of people of teams draw, and it's quite simple. Um, I take their games against the teams they played second, and I take their games against the teams they played once. And 
if their record against the teams they played once is a lot better than the teams they played second, they had a hard draw. And if the opposite is true, um, they have an easy draw. So there is a there are a couple of there are four teams in the finals who had an easy draw, and none of them play each other. They're all and there are there is one team in the finals, or sorry, there is one team in the finals who had a particularly hard draw by this rule, and another team who had a hard draw as well, but not as hard. Um, so the lesson to take out of this, so if you then just extrapolate the season into everybody plays each other twice and everybody you played once, you, you have the same result, right? There'd be one team who made the finals who didn't, and there'd be one team who made the final, one team who don't, who didn't make the finals who would make the finals. Mm. Uh, so the team that doesn't make the finals and the team had the easiest draw by this metric is Greater Western Sydney. They went seven and three in their double ups and went four wins, seven losses, and a draw against their teams they played once. The team that would replace them in the finals under this rule is St Kilda, um, who had, and by some distance, the league's hardest draw. They went three and seven in their double ups and seven and five in their single off games. So, but, well, not they, they, they had the toughest draw. It wasn't the clearest toughest draw. The team with the second toughest draw was Melbourne. Melbourne lost one game this season against teams that they played once only. Um, but went 6-3-1 and one against the other team. So what that tells you is Melbourne's form is sort of bulletproof. They, they finished top of the ladder despite of their draw. Um, the team, the bottom four teams of the easiest draws were the Brisbane, the Western Bulldogs, Port Adelaide, and GWS. So those teams all still would have made the finals, but um, it's very interesting, or not interesting at all, but very interesting to see that that would be that. So just some takings out of that, maybe just a, a bit of a mark against Brisbane, Western Bulldogs, Port Adelaide, and GWS this week, in so much as maybe they were. Their, their records were a little bit built up by the easiness of their draw. Mm, interesting. But um, certainly GWS and Port Adelaide, their form late in the season would probably cancel that out. But GWS also had, you know, let go of a cut like the, or, or just outside the eight for a good portion of the year and roused themselves to like beat Melbourne as an example in, you know, they were fantastic that day, but then, you know, found a way to lose some games that they really, really shouldn't have. Um, so mm. as, as, as interesting as that stat is, it's, it, it's, it's probably not necessarily uh, all that helpful when discussing GWS who seem to be able to, well, I think maybe Leon Cameron is one of those coaches who really amps his players up for the big occasion. Um, they've been a like they've been a sort of overperforming um, final side without winning um, flags over the journey. They seem to always snag one or two, and I think they do that by just Leon kind of building them up to run through a brick wall. Um, but they but they uh, capacity to lose to teams that they should beat. Um, so I'm actually thinking that that final will be. Yeah. So GWS's record in finals is there. There's six wins and four losses. They've never finished top three. 
I think I'll, I might have. Oh, it's it's sorry, it's um, it's 2017. It's one and two, six and five. So every year they've made finals, they've won a final. Mm. Um, and two of those years they've played Sydney. Sydney and GWS are the youngest local showdown derby, whatever you want to call it, and they're the first team to play each other three times in finals. And I think, obviously, the Gold Coast haven't played a final. Adelaide and Port Adelaide have played one final against each other, and West Coast Fremantle, which is the oldest one of them, uh, have never played each other in a final. So, mm. but then West Coast finals records a little bit odd. So I think the first. 1991 was the first time St Kilda made finals in 18 years. And I think over the next 20 years, West, every time St Kilda played finals, West Coast played finals, and we never played each other in a final. Yeah. We just kept avoiding them somehow. So um, I think I think there would have been a point in preliminary final week 2005 where a lot of people would have been thinking it was going to be a West Coast St Kilda grand final. It didn't happen. So the, the West uh, GWS's data points in that regard, they've got a lot of things going in different directions, um, which makes things interesting. It makes things interesting. Let's get to the finals. Let's get to the previews and the first final Friday night, a rerun of one, a final last year that I think Port Adelaide run reasonably comfortably in the end, but two, um, a Thursday night game. We did a podcast after earlier this year, which was uh, one of the really good games of the year where Geelong um, was sort of locked in cricket nets for three hours and Adelaide over the lead up to the game and just went out and knocked them over and then was supposed to get back on a plane to go straight home and got caught in fog and couldn't. You know, another another funny story to tell your grandkids about the crazy two seasons and counting of the AFL and when COVID's been going. So um, Port Adelaide beat the Bulldogs last week to finally claim a real top eight scalp and to claim a top two spot while Geelong lost after the siren to end up finishing third and going to Adelaide to play in front of what I don't think is going to be a very big crowd because of restrictions, but a Port Adelaide crowd nonetheless. Um, I guess the question is, uh, is your long-term lack of love for the Geelong Football Club able to be overcome in your analysis of this game and come out with a with a with a a Geelong tip or are, are you going with the power? <laughs> well, I don't know how I can answer this without um, uh, <laughs> my my bias coming into question, but I, I am tipping Port Adelaide in this one. Um, I just don't think. I mean, besides a very small patch earlier this year, I don't think Geelong have played footy as good um, this year as they did last year, which perhaps is um, a little odd um, given their inclusions on paper. Um, And, you know, maybe that'll be rectified by um, Jeremy Cameron having had a couple of hit-outs in advance of this final. But... um, I think Geelong were playing better footy last year. Um, I also recall that um, that game earlier um, in the year and prior to our our podcast uh, was absolutely dominated, uh, pillar to post by Tom Stewart. Um, Port Adelaide found a way to kick it to him over and over again. 
And when Tom Stewart went down a couple of weeks ago, um, I my initial thought was, okay, well, maybe this is a good problem for Geelong to have because they just simply send Blitzars back from the wing or um, the ruck um, and and give him back his All-Australian fullback post um, and maybe it makes them a little sturdier because there's been this theory that, you know, Geelong were gettable um, with with a, a monster forward or two um, could get a hold of Geelong. Um, but I thought potentially Blitzarves going back made them more solid. Um, I'm not so sure. I think, um, you know, it's been particularly odd to kind of watch Geelong lose a couple of games recently at GMHBA. Um, and, and sure, they haven't had their crowd there. Um, but I just don't think they look as invincible down there as they always have. Um, you know, and the results probably speak for themselves um, there with a, um, you know, a, a goal after the siren doing it for them one week and um, a couple of losses. Um, so, you know, taking into account everything you've said about Port's soft draw and them somewhat surprising me finishing second, um, that kind of sprung up on me a bit because they spent quite a lot of the year um, in fourth or just outside the top four. Um, but um, I think they're just beating who they're playing against. There was merit to them coming to Melbourne um, last weekend and, and beating the Doggies, who, who really needed to show something and did for um, at least in the first quarter. They, they, were, they sort of looked like it meant enough to them to kind of um, solve the problems that they're having. Um, but Port found a way. Um, yeah, um, they've got, they've got a, a good midfield mix and, and a pretty even team. Um, I don't think uh, – we'll get to my sort of predictions for the remainder of the finals later, but um, I don't actually think – there's a grand finalist in this final, um, but I think Port Adelaide will beat Geelong. I tend to agree, and I tend to agree with all of the analysis. Um, Port, a lot of Port Adelaide's best players uh, sort of rounding into form at the right time. Um, you know, it was it was it was a wonderful performance from Robbie Gray on on Friday. He doesn't need to get a lot of the ball, but he seems to know when to bob up and and sort of own the big moments. Um, Bokem Wines as a as a as an inside midfield duo is is probably unsurpassed in the league at the moment. Um, you know, pure inside, and um, and they've got an ability to, they've got an ability to score. I do feel like that they are a team that in the right situation can be you can get at their defence, and that would be the worry for me. I don't think Geelong are going to necessarily win it. Um, in the back half, although they are a they are a turnover team, um, in terms of in terms of uh, how they score, but you know there's so much quality in that Geelong forward line with Cameron and Hawkins, um, that you know, it, it's hard to put a line line through Geelong. Um, I don't know. And this is an odd thing to say about Geelong, but I don't know necessarily who in that midfield drags them over the line if, if it really gets tough in the middle. And the ruck problem is the same problem it's always been for Geelong. Um, it's Wednesday night. 
I don't know if anyone outside of the club really has an idea of how they're going to approach things. The be- the best thing that's going for Geelong at the moment, and probably for Radagalia and Stanley, is is Stewart's injury because Blixarves has to be. He's not necessarily an option um, to go on the ruck. But having said that, Chris Scott has overthought these situations before. Having said that, he the last few years he's had two weeks to think about the qualifying <laughs> yeah. final. Um, Geelong hasn't won in the first week of the final since 2016, which was the first week of the finals draw. Um, and in two of those games, two of those four games they've lost in the first week of the finals, um, they've been the higher-ranked team. Um, they, they, you know, in 2019, they certainly got hit in the chin um, by Collingwood in that qualifying final. And um, we dealt with pretty comfortably in the end. Um, and in 2017, probably had all the experience going against jo- Richmond, but Richmond with the form team. Um, 2018 got overrun by a Melbourne team that had no finals experience. Um, so I tend to lead to Port Adelaide um, with a pretty good level of confidence, actually. But um, on, a, on a, I want to see this player dominate a game and get excited. Um, there would be a part of me that would very much enjoy like a six-goal Jeremy Gavin game. The way it kicks them around the ground, that would be that would get me out of my seat. So, yeah, having said special. that, having said that, he's living the epitome of if you can't beat them, join them. So, um, I'll take. I, you know, there'll be a part of me be like, if he doesn't get a kick, it'll be like, well, perhaps you should have stuck fat. Um, the Saturday afternoon game is the Battle of the Bridge. I don't know what the bridge over the river and Launceston's called, but that's where they're playing the game. They're playing two finals <laughs> Launceston. It's magnificent. Um, it's managed to keep get the Tasmanian Premier away for a couple of weeks of taking his bat and ball and going home. But um, we've got a final Launceston at Sydney and GWS again. Um, my, my, I find it hard to look past... And, and these two teams have played in two finals before and GWS have won both of them and they've been the lower-ranked team in both of them. Um, I find it hard to go past Sydney in this game. And I saw them three weeks ago and they... and and. They didn't play well and they got beat comfortably, but I still find it hard to go past Sydney in this game. Sydney have had a um, remarkable year. Um, they've launched up the ladder uh, quicker than I think most people would have expected uh, off the back of their um, elite youth in the very first place and a, um, a really lovely transition game, um, uh, you know, Potentially orchestrated by by Don Pike, um, they're sort of the, the the they're great to watch when they're up and about. They're um they play really nice looking footy. Um, yeah, it was it was. I don't know. I, I'm finding this one real. I'm finding this one tougher to call. Um, and I think I'm basing that on. Um, Perhaps the, ga- the the very games that you're referencing, GWS's sheer knack of of rocking up to the finals and um, and getting it done. Um, we can write off the last time they met um, completely because it was uh, it was the game most affected by that um, uh, that sort of tier one. Um, was it a game of rugby that a bunch of them had attended? <laughs> yes, um, yes, and so. From memory, 
uh, Whitfield, Toby Green, and and another high-profile giant missed out. Um, and yeah, I mean, we can write that result off. I think the Giants uh, skipped out to an early lead and were overrun pretty comfortably um, by Sydney. Mm. But I think throw that in the bin. Um, and GWS won the game earlier in the year. Yeah, look, I think it's oil and water. I think it's a real. They they don't play footy that's anything like um, each other. Um, but but GWS, you know, have have built. Uh, a reputation of just being tough to play in a final. So I don't think the Swans will waltz away. Um, it's the great, um, it's the great uh, enduring legacy of the creation of GWS and the creation of the list is they've always been a made for finals contested football team. And who knows what the Gold Coast are going to be next year or how many different times they've pulled up the reins and tried for a different run. But the GWS have just stuck fat with this way of playing football, which last year with everything that was going on sort of fell apart in the last month when they probably just need to win a game. Um, this year they've sort of in part, and I don't want to sell them short, but they've been the beneficiary of other teams inability to do just that, just sort of find a way to win a game. Um, teams like, Richmond and St Kilda and from Antle and Carlton um, who all looked the goods to make the finals at some stage in the last six weeks if only they had taken the opportunity. GWS took it um, and they're sort of built for finals but you know I was I was probably on the Sydney bandwagon towards the end of last year I just really liked how their season finished and um, you know their good their best football looks very very good um, so I find myself sort of talking myself into GWS a bit more as, as it goes on, but I feel sort of, I feel brand loyal to Sydney. And I'll say I this, like... if, if, if at the beginning of the year we heard um, that GWS was going to meet Sydney in a final, and even though you had um, somewhat written GWS off after Cameron left and called it the end of the first wave of GWS. I did. But we, we also thought that, you know, or, or I thought that Sydney wouldn't make the eight, that, that potentially while they had some really exciting youth there, that they were probably a year or two away from really arriving. So I think if we if we spoke about this being an outcome at the beginning of the year, um, you know, the, the sort of dogged finals uh, approach of the GWS might have been enough. And I still sit there because I think the best of Sydney is ahead of us. Um, and I think GWS are clinging on to um, who they've been. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think it's really tough to call. I think it's a, a $1.85 each or two. Um, but if, I, if I've if i got to pick a side, I'm going to pick the Giants uh, by under a goal. Okay. Well, we're going to go the opposite side of the fence. Buddy's going to kick the winner. And, um, and uh, or maybe Tom Papley. Yeah. Those would be, that would those would be interesting storylines. Um, <laughs> Buddy kicks for goal from sixty meters out. It's going through, but Papley takes a chess mark on the line for the glory. <laughs> <laughs> it is the ground where Buddy kicks thirteen against North Melbourne. So um, uh, yeah, Buddy's reasonably familiar with the ground, even if he hasn't played there much lately. So um, I don't know what that's worth. Uh, my coin flip game of the round is Melbourne Brisbane on the Saturday night um, in Adelaide. Um, this one's going to feel a little odd because there's probably not going to be very many people there. 
Um, but these are the two teams I like most coming into the finals. Brisbane's response um, after a rough patch and the way they've hit their best form in the last month of the home and away season reminds one of Adelaide in the late 90s um, where they would have this lull about six or seven weeks out where, they, where Neil Craig as fitness advisor would be going, putting them through a heavy training load and then they just hit the finals and be bulletproof. Um, obviously, they've had everything that has happened in the last two years. Um, the straight sets exit in 2019, both really tough losses, especially the GWS elimination final loss where they lost by kick. Um, and then, you know, finally getting over Richmond last year and then just sort of, particularly after sort of halfway through the second quarter, not sh- no showing against um, Geelong in that preliminary final game. You know, they're at home, they're in front of a home crowd. They're, they're, the, they're the only team at that stage with any sort of home ground advantage. So, and, and, the, and the, uh, the promise of a grand, of a grand final together. So, um, and, um, you know, in terms of the, the structure of the team, very similar last year when you think that, if you think that Hibwood's out, and he is, but also Danaher's in. And, um, you know, he's he's done what he's needed to do. They've found a few more winners in the midfield. Um, Mick Ernie's form in the ruck has picked up to where he's probably progressed past the homeless man's Toby Nankervis. <laughs> um, oh, I mean, just just off on a tangent, I just it pulls my hair out when we get when we get. I mean, you you see it on the AFL player ratings and how many ruckmen there are in the top fifty or sort of stuff. And, oh, Sean Darcy's one of the best four or five ruckmen in the league, and I just said I can name five ruckmen better than him in ten seconds uh, in two seconds. Um, it it's you know Mick and Ernie's in the in the in the in terms of an absolute to be relied on starting ruckman in the bottom three or four, but they don't need him to be any better. Um, and of course they've got Harris Andrews. They've maybe got the best pure small stopping defender in the league. And Stasevich is very good. Um, they structured up really well, and they're in form. And then you've got Melbourne, who just probably you know have been the best team all year, and they finished on top of the ladder. And they're sort of in the same sort of boat that Port Adelaide were last season. They they they're the the overdogs of the season. Um. And a bit like Brisbane, they had their lull a little bit out and then sort of flicked the switch against the Gold Coast, um, which is a nice team to have on a neutral deck three weeks before finals just to run yourself into a bit of form. Um, meritorious win against Geelong last week, considering they were five goals down, you know, in, in quick order. So, and, you know, have a, have a very good ball-winning midfield, have managed to find that balance in the midfield, have the best one-two punch in terms of tall intercepting defenders in the league by some stretch. Um, and and have, and have found that the key forward, you know, the McDonald Renaissance bringing Ben Brown in the second half of the season. So this one, I really could go either way. And and not because I feel nervous about either team, but because I really like both teams. Yeah, that's, I mean, thank you. Because that's it's exactly what I think. Um, good to hear it. Um, come from you as well. I called prior to the the um, Melbourne Brisbane game earlier in the year. I had I had uh, called those two as the grand finalists. Um, Melbourne have never really given me great cause for worry on their side. 
Um, they have found a way in in every big clash this year, bar one, um, to to have the outstanding record against uh, other top eight sides. Um, so, you know, they've they've sort of been playing finals um, over and over again this year. Um, they seem really battle hardened, um, which is not something you thought you'd say about Melbourne. So that there's there's a whole lot of Melbourne supporters who uh, are not wanting me to go the early crow here because um, are we dealing with a 56-year drought or something like that? Um, they, 57. They 57. They don't, they don't want me calling it now. Um, but but they are in as good a position as, as um, yeah, as they surely could have ever been along that run. Um, they're the best team in the competition. And I think the only reason we don't kind of say things like daylight is because they're Melbourne. Um, and, and because of all the nerves uh, that, that all their supporters are currently feeling, but they've, they've really had a season out of the box. Um, and even when they weren't top of the ladder um, at various stages, I've just felt like they've been playing that premiership brand of footy. Um, I'd love to see Max Gorn holding the cup. Um, so, I, I'm I'm almost barracking for them, um, and uh, but I think the second best side is Brisbane, um, and they've had a bigger lull. They they gave me um, plenty to worry about going back to where it looked like they they couldn't possibly make top four, and therefore we're going to have to make a charge with um, you know winning every week, um, and I I still think they're going to have to do that because I think Melbourne will will beat them. Um, but I don't think they'll show each other all of their tricks this week. You know, the, the game earlier in the year where um, uh, Brisbane had skipped out and, you know, it was sort of, I guess, kind of similar to the Melbourne-Geelong game. It was a fantastic game, blistering pace, and um, Melbourne played on it every opportunity in the second half and just blitzed them, really. Um, I think they would have taken a lot of heart out of that one, and I think they'll win again. Um, but I... I sense uh, Brisbane, even though they'll then, um, you know, have to have to play every week. Um, they'd be my tip um, for the the other grand finalist. And then, you know, I, I think uh, if they then do it the hard way and make it to the grand final, then I think the grand final is anybody's. Because at that stage, um, you know, Melbourne will be – Melbourne could be their own biggest enemy. And um, – Brisbane might just be ready for a grand final now. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't necessarily agree with the assessment that it's, it's been Melbourne and then and then daylight. Um, they did have to win, kick a goal after starting to finish top. So, but I do think they've been the, they've been pretty much the best team all season. And they've had the toughest draw, as you referenced. So I, I think they're finishing yeah, and top I is stronger worried than about. another team. Uh, it's probably right. Um, I, I is it, it's it's the closest game for me to pick, and as I said, it's not because I'm necessarily worried about either team. Um, it's it's more to do with it's more to do with both, how both teams are in form and both are really good footy teams. Um, but um, I'm picking Melbourne, um, and while I might not get there in terms of a grand final prediction. Um, exactly. I don't really, I don't have any fault with your logic um, in terms of the two of them teams meeting again in the grand final. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. 
Um, a Port Adelaide Brisbane prelim probably has me leaning towards Port Adelaide. So, um, you know, probably be, you know, probably have the, I mean, that would be, there would be the two losing preliminary finalists from the year previously in a preliminary final the next season is, is, you know, one of the all time great. Can I listen to both three quarter time speeches if it's, um, if it's close. So, but anyway, I digress. The last game is the Bulldogs and Essendon. And as much as it pains me to say it, all the indicators point one way. Except the fact it's been 17 years since this mob won a final of any sort. Yeah, that that's a pretty big indicator. So um, I agree. And, you know, I think there's a lot of kind of um, doomsday <laughs> predictions going on about the Western Bulldogs who have, uh, have dropped three in a row to um, finish outside the top four and, and made their own bed. Um, you know, the, the last time they met, Essendon did it fairly comfortably uh, only a couple of weeks ago now, and Peter Wright um, had a day out kicking seven. Uh, that won't happen again. Um, I, can, well, I can pretty safely say Peter Wright's not game. kicking seven. Say again? Alex Keith didn't play that game. That was the game Alex Keith missed, I think. So yeah, I'm not sure who the Bulldogs were playing in at fullback, maybe Caleb Daniel, but <laughs> two meter Peter and one meter Caleb. That that wasn't going to that wasn't. Gonna <laughs> um, I I don't know. I'm I'm giving the doggies one more chance. I've heard everything you've said about eighth beating fifth. Um, and and uh, you know and and seen all the signs pointing to Essendon. Uh, I think I think however many days it is, what six thousand plus that uh, since Essendon won a final. I think that that's telling. Oh, uh, I think they're um, I think they're arriving ahead of schedule in much the same way that I think Sydney are. Um, I think the future is very rosy at Essendon. Don't get me wrong. Um, their their kids are fantastic. Um, the rise of uh, this midfield led by um, Stringer and, and Darcy Parrish, particularly Zach Merritt, for the longest time, the you know the the their weakness was their their mids um, and having those kind of powerful mids to assist someone like a, a Zach Merritt. Um, where now, you know, Dylan Shields missed so much of this year, but um, it hasn't really affected them. Um, they're, they're, they're also one of the most watchable sides this year. Um, so, and yeah, I, I don't like them either. So I, I hear all the pain, um, in, in your voice when you, when you reference that you think they might get the chocolates. Um, I don't know why, uh, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to say because of the rest of, um, the doggies here, um, that they can, they can find a way to win one final, but not two, um, and I'm tipping I'm tipping the dogs by about four goals. Fair enough. Um, I think the doggies' problem, and I think this is it's been this way forever. And for four glorious weeks in September of 2016, it wasn't this way. And it wasn't this way because of some of the least likely people you'd ever think. Guys like Liam Pickett and Tory Dixon. Um, but the Bulldogs' problem for a long time is they just can't. Get a goal when they absolutely have to have one. And, you know, they started like a house on fire last Friday against Port Adelaide, had four goals before Port Adelaide's bench had even sat down, ever sat 
down. And then I think they kicked four more goals for the rest of the game, and three of those happened in a five-minute period in the third quarter. Um, every now and then, you've just got to be able to win a clearance and either win a set of clearance and get the ball to a full forward leading out so you get an absolute sh- – you know, we just, you know, get your best – the basketball parlance would be just, you know, drop your best play and get your best shot. Um, and even if he doesn't mark it, you lock it in and you just keep it locked in until you ki- until you kick a goal. And if you kick points, you, you, you know, you stop the kick-ins and you keep, you know. Um, I just don't know if they can rely, rely to, you know, evenly spread them out. You know, get two or three goals, which, I mean, it might be all they need is three goals every quarter. You know, 12 goals might win the game. On the other hand, 16 might not the way Essendon score. The thing that worries me about Essendon is, and there's actually, there's really been nothing to, uh, nothing to avert me from this thought so far this season is they are still phenomenally flaky. And I, I mean, I don't know what the, I mean, I'll look them up now, the, what the, what the odds are, who's favourite for that match? All games are, are uh, fairly tight in the odds from memory. Um, um, the Bulldogs are $1.55 and Essendon are two forty. Um, Essendon are the rank outsiders of the, rank, of the week. Um, yeah, I would have thought there would have been a little bit more expectation coming on Essendon this week considering they're the form team in that matchup, but it seems like the money is, is going in the other direction. So I don't know. I have I have Essendon. I have Essendon winning the game. It um, smacks a little bit of that one of those um, you know, like you you'll always go out and back the, the loser of the qualifying final against the um against the winner of the that, elimination final in the semis. And it feels like that now that they've got rid of now that they've got rid of the pre the, the, the pre finals by, I'm absolutely getting to the, the betting shop this week and next week and getting that, that multi on the two qualifying final losers into each other. Yeah, well I think I think it's pretty safe this year too. Um I don't like any of the sides in the in the um bottom half of the eight anywhere near as much as I um do the top four. But um yeah I, to me it feels like that. It feels like if you're jumping off the Western Bulldogs, you're doing it because um they they've lost a couple in a row, but you're forgetting what they've done all year is 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 really much classier than 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 Essendon at this stage of each side's development. Um, and we've seen sides limp into the finals um, once or twice. Um, you know, notably the doggies, of course, in um, in sixteen. But you know, but multiple times, you know, teams that you, you just couldn't have on form um, lifting for a final. Um, the the other thing I, I I seem to recall there were like five goals from centre bounce um, that Essendon kicked in the last the last time they met. So Peter Wright went berserk, and they got all these goals straight out of the guts, um, which the dogs would have to say is a strength of theirs. Um, you know, everyone, everyone in that team is a midfielder just about. So, um, you know, Bont has been, uh, you know, less than his best. Trelaw has been less than his best coming back from injury. Dunkley hasn't been the same. Liberatore has been down on his best form and, you know, they're actually, um, trying to tag him a little bit. Um, because that 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 first handball can be so damaging, and all their good players are on the outside. Um, but you know, I, I think that's where the goals come from. If the Western Bulldogs are fair income, I think they can that all of those guys are goal kickers. Um, 
and and they can probably count on that midfield mix for for five or six and um and and also just you know make some adjustments so that Essendon aren't getting five out the other way um and you know you know sitting someone on on their dangerous forwards um so I think the market has it just about right um and I wouldn't be surprised to see more people come for the dogs in that in that same way of just being like the Dons aren't quite ready. Um, I, I, you know, all those key indicators um, noted and, you know, nothing will surprise me, but yeah, dogs by four goals for me. Fair enough. I, I think, I think it's midfield can mix it with the Bulldogs and the Bulldogs. And this is an, another thing that's not new, have a ruck problem. And, um, you know, whether they're going to, it was perplexing what they did last week. Um, you know, they had Lewis Young and Marcus Bontempelli running around the ruck and Tim English going nowhere near the ruck, which I think says a bit about Tim English. And I've been critical in this forum before of him. Mm. Um, but, you know, at some stage, um, you've, you've got to make a decision about whether the investment is going to be, is going to come good. And, um, you know, from what we understand, Steph Martin's a, a big chance to play this week, but he's going to be underdone but they're in a they're in an elimination final for the third year in a row and and they've they've got to win it so um let me put it this way i don't think i don't think the bulldogs win a close game i can easily see the bulldogs winning by eight or nine goals and it being the same old essendon because but western bulldogs punch them in the mouth in the first quarter and it just gets away from essendon team too young not ready and we'll lick out wounds and come back next year and you can talk about the the actual whether that's a reasonable way to think about it or not, if you're asking them um, at another stage. But best to keep it close, I think that there's the more chance that, in particular the way String is playing, that something special might happen and and Essendon might be able to get the job done. I'm I'm picking the Bombers with no great um, no great happiness as as I guess the, the <laughs> one roughy of the week, and they are, are the roughy. They're they're the longest odds, so. Um, well, Stringer would enjoy that, wouldn't he? As as would as would the Essen fans. Maybe mm. not me so much. Um, so wrapping, extrapolating into a grand final, sounds like you've got the loser of Melbourne Brisbane, then you know running through the rapid charges and getting into the grand final to play the winner of Melbourne Brisbane. And how you see it rolling along? I do, yeah. Um, I think, well, that would put them in. Uh, that would put them in the Port Adelaide half of the draw, based on the um, uh, results that we've predicted this weekend. Um, and I, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. I think I think Brisbane would would win that game. Um, I think it'd be a cracking game. Um, but I, I've and that's look. Basically, my position hasn't moved since the beginning of the year. Um, I think I liked Brisbane at that point. Melbourne have come from the clouds, but uh, I've seen enough from Brisbane at their best um, to think that, yeah, that's the way it'll go. And that's my grand final Quinella at the moment. Fair enough. I've got the two qualifying final winners that I've got in my grand final at the moment. Um, I just, I, I really like the Port, the Port Adelaide response. And it was one of those ones where I think all of the football world was watching and they knew it. And it's like, you've got to come through. Um, and they were four goals down very, very quickly and just grinded their way. And it was it was a win full of merit. Um, they'll be, 
I think they'll still be pretty annoyed about last year. You know, I think it's a reasonable thing to believe that they would have won that game if it hadn't rained. Um, and even even then, I mean, that was one of the toughest games of football you'll ever want to see. That probably from yeah, it was magnificent. Port Adelaide, Richmond last season. Either of those teams would have been a worthy premier after that. Um, you know, the the and I think I've mentioned this before that you know, the last minute of Brett Ebert's football career is just something that was. You know, in one respect, it was some of the most difficult vision I've ever had to watch on a football field. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, it just epitomised what the game meant to him and, and and everyone else on the field. And sort of, you know, it was a it was a, an encapsulation, you know, how much of a bloody important game of football that was. So mm. um, I sort of, I think at Port Adelaide are where they deserve to be. I had them winning the premiership at the start of the season. So, I mean, I'm might have been off the bandwagon mentally a few stages during the season, but after after Friday night, which which I watched keenly, um, I'm back on. So it's interesting though, isn't it, Punter? Because like I mean, that the what you're saying is right, but they like they they were beating everyone last year. They finished top, mm. and they 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 were beating the teams around them. Um, and 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 this year that that same old Port Adelaide knock of they don't do it when it counts. And if we're if we're saying, I mean, I think the the win last week had some merit, but we're still saying, uh, you know, not a heap because the dogs have lost it, and because, um, you know, the dons are going to roll the dogs, and so if that happens, we're a Port Adelaide, and we, you know, we don't know. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're sticking with your preseason prediction, and I'm sticking with mine, but um, I I don't know. Like in theory, I should have been kinder to Port Adelaide based on last year, but I just wanted to see them back it up and. I wonder if their soft draw is is at play in their top two finish, but time will tell. Fair enough. We will we will review in a few weeks' time when we get together in grand final week um, to discuss the grand final. We won't have I won't have Dusty to wax lyrical about this year, but I'm sure I'll have plenty to talk about as I have done today. Um, hopefully, everyone listening has been, you know, has has managed to calm down after the excitement of the music. With the AFL player rating Brownlow, whether that worked or not, and also it has it has managed to enjoy the rest of the podcast. So, um, Cameron, thanks for joining me as always. Good on you, mate. No worries, and thank you for listening. We will catch you again in a few weeks for the AFL Grand Final Preview Edition of the podcast. It should it should go without saying. We'll catch you then.